Hello and welcome to another episode of Psyche of Sales and one of our special masterclasses. Today I'm joined by Liam Ford. G'day Liam. Hey, how are you Johnny? Good, good, good. Nice to see you and I'm glad we could finally pull this together. Yeah, well, I'm on my way to the UK, called into Sydney, flew in from Melbourne. It's one of those. <laughs> one of those via things. Auckland, is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, via Auckland. So come a long way. And so as you know, Psyche of Sales is where we get into the mindset of high-performing salespeople, but also sales leaders, but we also get masters of their field across many things. Now, although you are a very good salesperson and have specialised in this, that's not where we're going to start and focus on today. So why don't you start by telling us a bit about what you do? Well, my, uh, my real sweet spot is how do you unlock the potential of your business by unleashing the power of your people? And this has always been a conundrum. And so a lot of businesses are working suboptimal. Yep. Yeah, and they, so they call me and go, hey, look, we don't know what the hell's wrong. We should be at this level. It's probably a bit like in your sales training, right? We should be at this level. Yep. We're at this level, but it's across the organization. So it could be a problem with silos. It could be a problem with politics or bureaucracy or just, you know, maybe the exec team is not working well. And then the other reason they come and talk to us is because they're going through major change, <clears throat> some sort of major transition. So I was working last week with a company down in Melbourne and they're going through a major market restructuring. And if they don't change, it's an existential crisis. So it's really, really big. So this is, this is hundreds of millions of dollars at stake. And the last thing is taking them from good to great. So yep. there's a lot of teams out there that are, that are good, but they just want to go up that extra bar from sort of great to exceptional. And that's what the zone is all about, like nailing those three things, you know. And, I, and I've obviously heard about what you do. So I met you through your son, um, who's uh, shout out to Tom. So big thank you for Tom and all the, the work he's done, but introducing me to you. But I remember that first coffee or juice that we grabbed that time in Alexandria. And I remember you actually stopping the conversation and just taking me through a single exercise, yeah. which shifted my focus for the rest of the conversation. Yeah, that's right. right. Well, I mean, that's sort of why I carry around these spinners. You know, I mean, I use this as a device to sort of help people understand, you know, in the world today, uh, so I've worked now in 35 countries, so I'm heading off to the UK, I'll work in, in Boston, I'll work in New York, I'll work in Panama, and I'll, I'll be in Europe working in Zurich or Barcelona somewhere, this yeah. trip. And what do you find is in this, this new world that we're in, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the term VUCA, V-U-C-A. No. Right, okay, so what that stands for is volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous and I add another A on because after working uh, these like 25 years in all these countries the other A is accelerating so the speed of change is really rapidly um, accelerating particularly what have we got now we've got climate change we've got AI we've got you know competitive landscapes we've got more government re regulations world wars world wars yeah. I mean you know well hopefully not world wars but certainly, okay, yeah. <laughs> certainly wars yeah. And what happens is that all of this um, volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous and accelerating world throws us into a bit of a spin. And you know, if you want to be really a leader and if you want to make a real difference, you need to be at the center of this because if you jump on the outside of the spinner, you're going to fly off somewhere yes. and you'll be, like, you'll be lost. You'll be in your own you know, panic, so to speak. So we teach leaders how to be in the sweet spot which we call the zone and that's why i sort of bring these along just as a demonstration <clears throat> and i guess when we met you know one of the things that i picked up is you know you're a fast moving dude right you yeah. like you know, your metronome is going like 100 miles an hour 
And sometimes, you know, where you need to be is really at stop. Yep. And you just need to calm down and get into that sort of level, um, that pond that's just no ripples in it. Yep. And from that place, you can see the world slightly differently. Yep. So, you know, you just come off a meeting, you were like running at 100 miles an hour, you yes. were a bit late. Try, <laughs> trying to find a car spot. <laughs> trying yeah, to find yeah. a car spot. Yeah. I remember you driving past me saying, is that you, Steve? Yeah, that's it. right. That's right. Yeah. And I just wanted you to take time to just chill out, connect and, you know, let's not talk business. Let's just talk Johnny. Yeah. So, it, it's interesting you say that because I, I meditate most mornings. Yeah. And... It, it, I don't believe if I meditate for the day, I'll have a great day. Right. But if I meditate consistently as the first thing I do, then consistently I'll have great days. Yeah. And I notice that if I've been a bit under the weather, a bit run down, a bit busy, and I've just skipped it for days, or maybe it's just doing it a lot less over a period of time, yeah. I'm less able to just be present during what's going on. Yeah, and you can turn up to meetings in a bit of a fluster. You can be, you know, not having food ready or something, having put aside time for a meal. And so that idea of being at the centre of it, I think is really important. And um, yeah. I think it's a good lesson. And, and I think what I'm hoping for our listeners to get from this today is, is I find you fascinating and I find what you do really fascinating. I think the more we talk, the more we realise what we do has some similarities, but you look at totally. total yeah. organisations, we look at sales teams. Uh, I had a, a client of mine the other day sort of talk about, I don't see you as a sales coach in our business, I believe you literally coach our business uh, throughout it. And I sort of said, no, no, but we do focus on sales because that's <laughs> yeah. our brand, that's what we do. Yeah, exactly. uh, but I think, you know, that idea of we see, you talk about acceleration or going from good to great, we talk about understanding what your top performers do well yeah. and how do you close the gap between them. Uh, you mentioned VUCA, am I saying it right? Yeah, VUCA. Yeah, VUCA. Yeah. Tell me how that plays out in reality for, for a lot of your clients. Well, how it plays out is, is we get, there's a lot, there's a lot going on uh, in every market, right? Yeah. I, I, you know, maybe I can relate it to sales. So, so you know, you're, you're, you're trying to present a particular product or service or whatever it is. Yeah. You'll have to correct me if I'm wrong on the yeah. whole sales thing. But, and, and you want to <clears throat> show the client that you can add real value to their business, yep. right? I mean, that's that's the end point. I mean, sales is about adding value. That's yeah. that's what I believe. Yes. Right? And if you can't add value, then it's going to be you know pushing shit uphill, frankly, yeah. right? It becomes a price conversation. <clears throat> it becomes a price yeah. conversation. So it's always about value conversation. And in order to add value to a customer, um, surely you need to value who you are, not only as a person but as a business. Yeah. And so that's really the key for me is like. Are you personally in the zone? And are you there to serve your customers or are you just there to make money? Yeah. And I think customers can smell the people that are after just making money versus those that are there to serve. And then ultimately I'm there to serve you to help you do your job better, yeah. but also to help grow your organization. And so that's how I see the three steps. Like I'm in the zone, yeah. I help you get in the zone, and then I help your organization get in the zone. And that's, that's sort of the concatenation. And so when you're in this volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous and accelerating world, you can easily be taken off the zone. Yes. And things change. So one of the first things we do when we look at businesses is, is their business blueprint right? <clears throat> I mean, do they know what their vision is? Do they know what their purpose is? Do they know what their values are, their strategy is, their mission, whatever else? Have they got the right structure? Yep. Because if you don't have that right, you're in trouble. And I often talk, tell them, 
tell these stories. I mean, I'm a big storyteller and about the three riders on the back of an elephant, right? Okay. So there's three riders on the back of the elephant. One wants to go straight ahead, one wants to go left, one wants to go right. Yep. Now, what does an elephant do when it gets mixed messages like that? What do you reckon? Stops. It stops, right. Yep. So that's what you're doing to your organization. Yeah. If you don't have clear messaging. And I'm imagining that's what happens in the sales process too. If you're of not course it does. Yeah. super clear about, you know, what you're selling and what, what the benefits are, you're gonna yeah. you're basically gonna stop the sale. And I then say to them, Okay, have you ever tried to move an elephant that stopped? And they go, No, but they can imagine how tough it is. Yeah. So this is what you're doing to your organization or, or to yeah. your sales team or you you're you're disabling them. You're yeah. You're having this huge impediment. And so that's really how it works. In, in so it's practice. about getting total alignment. Total alignment, yeah. total clarity. Like, what are we here to do? Who's the customer? What value do we add? <clears throat> Where are we going to play? How yeah. are we going to win? So it's, that's why I think it's very similar to what you do. And then yeah. we basically make sure that the culture and that communication is end to end the whole organization. And that could be. 50 people, it could be 50,000 people. Yeah. You know, we've got a process that handles, you know, anything at scale. You know, I imagine the reverse is true. So trying to push an elephant that's stopped is really hard, but trying to stop an elephant that knows its direction and it's going in that direction is going to be hard to stop as well. Yeah, that's right. You know, you're just going to get ahead of all the competition. And, and, that's, that, the, and that's, that's the zone, right? That is the zone because then you, you're, when you're in the zone, things really, you know, uh, ramp up like, your creativity goes up, yeah. your ability to focus, your attention goes up, your ability to problem solve goes up, your ability to connect with others goes up, your emotional intelligence goes up, even your IQ will increase. Yeah. Because, you know, IQ is often, you know, like they think, oh, I'm not smart or I am smart, but IQ in terms of business is not just your physical IQ, but it's your ability to recognize patterns. Okay. And so when you can recognize patterns, you can go, oh, okay, I recognize that. And now I know where to go or where not to go, where to avoid. Yep. So that's pattern recognition system gets turned on when you're in the zone. So yep. that's, that's what we're all about, like getting your psyche in the right place so that you are optimal. So. And so you've mentioned that you do this at an individual level. So sometimes you work with a CEO or a senior leader and trying to get them in the zone. Yep. And then you help organizations get their people in the zone, Correct. is that right? So it's, it's, it's leaders, teams, and organizations. So yeah. quite often our first sort of call, we might have a conversation with the CEO and they'll say something like, hey, you know, our organization is not where it should be. Yeah. Yep. And then I'll say to them, okay, so who's the leader of the organization? And they put their hand up and say, well, I am. And I'll say, okay, cool. So are you in the right location? Are you in the right mind space? Yep. Because I always believe the old saying, the fish rots from the head. Yep. You know, if you walk on the beach, you, you look at a fish, you'll always see the heads rotted out first, right? Yep. Sorry to your listeners. Um, but, but you always start at the top because you can't play the blame game if you want to be in the zone. Yep. So the person, the CEO can't go, oh, my team sucks or yep. my organization sucks, right? That's not how you change something. You change something by taking on personal ownership or accountability. You go, okay, what can I do? Have I created the right environment? Have I chosen the right people? Have I put the right people in the right seats? Have I lined them up yeah. correctly to what we want to achieve? <clears throat> and once the CEO or the exec team owns that, 
then we're cooking on gas. Then we really can speed things up because now they're taking ownership, they've got skin in the game, rather than saying, oh, Liam, go and sort out the organisation while we sit in our ivory tower. Yeah. That's not the sort of client we want to do. And it does relate exactly with sales, which is this idea of alignment. Right. You know, like a salesperson's life should be quite simple. You get clarity around who are we seeing? Are we seeing the right people, the right frequency, so the right amount of times? Yep. Do we have the right messages in front of them, the right skills when we're there? Do we have the right support of the organisation? If all those things are in alignment, you will see high levels of success. If you're finding one or two of those broken down, it makes it really challenging for a yeah. salesperson to do well. Yeah, it's like the tip of the spear and the shaft of the spear, right? The tip yeah. of the spear is like, hey, we're, we're, what are our sales guys aiming for? But you need all that support behind the organization so that you, when you, you intersect, intersect with the, the customer, the customer's experience yep. is reinforced. So we're not just selling you something, we're actually, this is true to who we are. Yep. <clears throat> so that's really, I'd, I'd see that, you know, we have a lot in common. Well, you said before about as well that, that idea of people can like smell it on you when you just want money. Yeah. And there was a, a trainer back in the day that I used to listen to, Blair Singer, and he always had great quotes, but he said this idea of, people can smell your money breath, you know, like your <laughs> yeah. garlic breath, like people can say, and you really can. You can see it if someone's only calling you because they're trying to get yeah. something from you. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I see it sometimes with, I might go to a restaurant or something and they'll, they'll call you when they need to get rid of some wine or things like this, or yeah. the others that say, oh, Johnny, you'd love this. Next time you're exactly. in, let me know, I'll put it aside for you. Yeah. They're, they're two very different experiences and two very different results. And so you use the term adding value, and we always sort of talk about this idea of how do we create value. Right, right? And, and, maybe and, I'll steal that from and, you. And you know, I hope so, <laughs> I can add one thing to you then I'll be happy, because uh, a lot's coming in return. But it is that idea of, we, we think we need to add value. The other reason I don't like that term for sales is it makes us want to talk more. Right. And, and I want them to ask more. Ask I want them questions. to really just sit, be present and question. Like I'll give people advice sometimes as, you know, how do you become a better salesperson? You need to be more present. Mm. You need to actually just be able to sit there and more listen the to that. That's right. Spinner. That's right. That's it. Yeah. Because your client won't always tell you what their main driver is. You can't sit in front of a CEO and say, what's the major challenge right now? And they'll tell you the major challenge. They'll tell you what they think is the major challenge, but you're reading as they're telling you, okay, this is not what they're saying that it is. Not because they're lying, but because they may not know or they're not picking it up. Right. Uh, we had a, a CEO in Japan that I worked with and brilliant CEO, brilliant strategically, totally charismatic. Mm. But the problem was he spoke to his leadership team of 20 people and they understood the message, but they weren't like him. And they didn't no. have the ability to then translate that message beyond. Now there's 12,000 people in this organization. So if you asked 11,000 of them or 11,980 of them what the strategy is, no one could repeat exactly. it back. Yeah. But these 20 people could, could repeat it back. Well, they could certainly hear it. So we did some coaching where one of my colleagues coached those 20 leaders to become better at articulating the strategy. And I coached the next 75 leaders in the organization because those 75 leaders spoke to over a thousand people and those thousand spoke to most of the organization. Right. So we knew that if we could get their storytelling right, so they could tell the strategy in a few minutes and get their team on board with it, that would have a significant impact across the whole organization. That's almost exactly what I do as well. Yeah, so, great. So that's about the alignment and then the cascade. Yeah, okay. Right, so, so and funny enough, you might say those 20 people really understand it, but 
<clears throat> one of the things we do is we do a discovery process and we will ask them specifically in different ways, like what are the priorities, what are the future yeah. challenges? Oh, and by the way, what, what's the strategy? And I would say that 75% don't know it. Yeah. They can't recite it in a way that someone further down the organization would know it. Sure, they might be able to speak to a whole lot of uh, PowerPoints, right? And then yeah. get off the bullet points. That's not how most people operate. No. When you're at the front line of an organization, you just need to know what are the three things that, it, that I need to know, yeah. right? I need to know this, this, and this. So then I can make a decision at the front line. And what we're trying to do is push down decision-making to the lowest, the pointy end of the organization. So what are those three things? How do you tell your person who's sitting on reception, should they know the strategy? Absolutely yeah. they should know the strategy. Should, and be able to articulate it. Yeah, should the person in your warehouse sweeping the floor know your strategy? Absolutely, because you know, it might be that what they need to improve their productivity is a longer mop. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I don't yeah. know what it is. Yeah. But they'll spot things if they know what the strategy is. And so it has to be real simple. So They say, and, and not to bring it back to a sporting analogy, but whenever they talk about their best coaches, like rugby league or rugby union players, it's never, oh, they're the most complex people. You know, they're not because of how clever they are. They talk about how they simplify it. Yeah. And I just, every time I went on the field, I knew exactly what I had to do. And I find that when you talk about VUCA, what that often equals is pressure. Yeah. Exactly. So we're facing more pressure. And when we get someone up to role play in front of their peers or their colleagues or someone more senior, often they feel a lot of pressure. Yeah. And they yeah, say, exactly. well, this isn't a real situation. I said, it is real because you're in a real life situation. Yeah, that's right. But it's also showing you how you react when you're under pressure. Exactly. And that's really important. And so will you remember those three priorities when you're under pressure? When you're faced with 12 things in front of you, how clear can you be on, no, no, but that's not what we do. Yeah. And I think about it, we're a small company, as you've seen, and you can see it here, which means we need to be clearer than ever on what are the two, three or four things that we must do. Absolutely. So we used to have seven priorities, we've now based it down to three. If it doesn't come into those three priorities, then we don't do it, Yeah. Right? that's exactly. not our focus. Exactly. And it's, it's again, it just comes down to articulating them, but I'm, we haven't touched on this for five or six weeks in the office, and I'm wondering if I went around and asked everyone, would they be able to repeat those three things that we need to focus well, on? You can tell me after the podcast how it goes. Yes. Um, but the other thing I'm interested to know is because um, we operate uh, with um, what we call different archetypes at the zone. Yep. So the first archetype is the rebel. Okay. And the rebel archetype is the one that is not afraid to challenge the status quo or challenge someone or stop someone and say, hey, Johnny, yep. let's just stop for a minute. You know, you're all over the place. Let's get you back and give you a short exercise to do to bring you back to being present. Um, the second one is the magician. And you might say, okay, well, why the magician? And the magician is there because that's the mastery of our craft. So I'm sure that you're a master in, in sales. And if you went into someone, they'd, they'd probably go, well, how did Johnny do that? And they'd have to watch the recording 10 times. You can break it down, but you've done it so, so many times, it's like magic. Yep. Uh, the third one's the architect, because the architect needs to, you need, if you're doing this at scale, or you want to make it uh, scalable, you need to turn it into something beautiful that can be repeated, right? Yep. It's like a blueprint. Yep. The fourth one's the companion, and the companion is where you meet heart to heart. So it's sort of opposite to the rebel. So the rebel's gonna break something, the, the companion's gonna bring it together and say, hey, 
look, even though I challenge you on that, I'm here for you. This is the why I challenge you on it. I'm yep. here to make you better and serve you better. And the fifth one is the sage. And the sage is about wisdom. And, the, and what we find today in the world is that people are looking for more wisdom than rather than just shortcuts, yep. right? Because shortcuts will work for a short period of time, but they don't, they fizzle out over the long time. So yep. we're, we're looking at long term. And so question for you is the way that, that I work with people is that I will use one of those five archetypes. I'll just cycle them around depending on who I'm faced with. So to be clear, you'll be any or all of them that you need to be at the time. At that time. Because we use the terminology situational selling. Right. Meaning okay. we're not going to give you a prescriptive methodology. You need to be different depending on who you're in front of. Exactly. <clears throat> and after, after 25 years, 35 com- countries and hundreds of thousands of people, those yeah. are the five that I've found to be the most effective. And if you, if you just cycle through those five, then you're going to be in, you're going to be in great shape. So some people are, you know, are struggling and they just need the companion, the heart. Yeah. They need to feel that before you've got the engagement. Uh, some people think that they're doing the right thing and you can see from the outside, they're like, dude, this is so off. It's <laughs> yeah. just like so not 21st century yeah. that you need to challenge it. And this is a bit of a wake up call. Yeah. Some people you need to sort of show them some, some magic and yeah. you know, like, so it's, it's, it's all different. So that's how, that's how we operate with our clients. And, and it, it, it's, if I can just almost check in for a second, because I think that for those that are listening to this, if you're not writing this down and if you're not thinking about how you can apply it. So if you're a, a sales leader, think about your sales team and how you can get more out of people by shifting your style. Like we talk about this idea of sales and coaching is so similar mm. if done properly. Sales isn't some trickery that you're using to kind of convince people. It is understanding what drives someone and moves someone and how do I you know, adapt to help them get there. It's almost right. a guide as a facilitator. And as you know, I coach a lot of execs and it's the same thing in coaching. Yeah. It's understanding them and their drivers and what do they need to get from where they are to where they need to be. And I love that idea of those five archetypes because it's really clear that sometimes it might be a combination of two of them. Right? Absolutely. I, I imagine like even being a parent, sometimes you need to be the rebel and then the companion. Yep. Right. You need to be the architect, but then you need to be the magician to sell that that dream on of scale. And so it's the combination of them totally. that, that I think is is really powerful. And you know, hopefully, I'm asking the the <laughs> listeners to get out of what I've just done because it's been a total aha moment for me hearing that as a as a coach. And it's also good to hear because with some of the leaders I coach, I, I really dislike the word coach. Yeah. because I'm not an executive coach. Right. I'm not going to spend six sessions. They're not hiring me for that. They're hiring because of the magician element yeah. that I, I know how to do it and I can help them get there faster yeah. in a lot of cases. And so often it's how do I help them get there so that when I'm not around anymore, they're still going to be able to do that. Yeah. Right? And so you know, one of my colleagues once said it's probably more mentoring than coaching in a, in a lot of ways. But I like that idea of well, it doesn't have to be one or the other. It no. can be a combination to get the result. Yeah, and that you have to be able to flex your style because you know even today people want to be treated more like individuals. Yes. Right? Whether it's individualized medicine or it's individualized coaching or whatever you call it, but I always think of it as a conversation, a little bit like we're having now. Yeah. Like we don't know where it's going. No. You know, we just started off and now we're off on to magicians. It's right. Like, it's right. Yeah. Bloody architects. Yeah. And God knows what else. And we started with spinners. We could go. We we could go anywhere. Yeah. 
and it's it's within you know the juices in the conversation and and you need to be able to have you know a flexible style it's almost like it's improv in a way or yes. it's dancing right yes so you know you, you know you're just going like jazz music or whatever yeah. or any, any sort of music it just goes and takes you with it and that's that's the most important thing and, and this is the piece though that we need to try and get across to when we're coaching and training our salespeople or sales leaders is that it's important to have a framework. So if you can use this archetype framework, whichever yep. way you, you like to piece it, we have individual competencies that we believe are critical, Right. but I don't want to tell you how to question. I want you to become an expert questioner. Exactly. And that takes time, but it takes practice. So that uh, insight I gave you earlier about recruitment, yeah. that need to practice at the beginning of the day, it means you're getting more one-on-one -on -one present time that doesn't need a result. You know, it's this idea of if we're not practicing here, we're practicing out there on the customer. Yeah. And that's what we want to avoid. And there was this study done in 2018, uh, University of Florida, and they looked at four different sales methodologies. So big methodologies, spin selling, challenger selling, value selling, feature and benefit selling against four client or customer types. Okay. 1,500 salespeople, rigorous win-loss analysis. They went really deep. And what it worked out is that for a certain client type, a certain methodology worked. Okay. But for the next client type, a different methodology worked and so on. And so the hypothesis is, if you're using any single methodology, you're wrong 75% of the time. Right. right. But my favorite piece of this is that they looked at the top 5% of salespeople and they said, what methodology do you use? And because these people are clever, they've just said whatever methodology their company uses. So, <laughs> oh, you spin selling. But then when pushed and said, but what happens if you've got a client who's very set in their ways, except well, then I do this and then yeah. I do that, which means they don't use spin selling. They use an open architecture or situational selling. They mm. use the archetypes that they actually adapt to who's in front of them. Yeah. And so the hypothesis really clearly is you need to adapt with who's in front of you, with what they need at the time. And it could be, it's not even saying Liam needs, you need to sell to him this way or coach him this way. It's how is Liam right now? Yeah. How do I coach him in the moment he's in? Am I busy? Do I need a rebel to stop, yeah. you know, yeah. as you did last time, to, to, so we can have a better conversation off the back of it? Yeah, because um, every day is different. Right? Exactly. Every day we're, we're showing up as, a, as, as someone new. I mean, we have a, we have a consistency. But, you know, hey, this morning I'm, I might have got a bit of bad news or I might have got a bit of good news, and there'll be a, there'll be a flow on from that. Yeah. You know, and, that, and that's really important. And, um, yeah, I really like that, the sound of that study. In facilitation, which is a big part of our, our methodology, uh, which we teach all our zoners, it's what we call emergence. And so you're always working with emergence. So whatever the answer is, emerges out, and then you're surfing on that emergence and going to another wave, to another wave, to another wave. Yeah. Right? And we say to them, look, if you're having a conversation with a client, um, go in there to serve them. Don't worry about selling something or if you're there to serve that opportunity the opportunity will come where they'll say hey could you do that with my team could you do that and that's that's when they ask you and that's the most that i think that's the most powerful powerful way of you know creating businesses having them ask you rather than you ask them i don't know but you're, I'm probably telling you, I'm probably no, telling you everything you've done no you're you're exactly right and i think we talked in one of the podcasts recently is this idea of a flywheel. Right. And it's a bit like the elephant. Once it's going, it's hard to stop. Yeah. But also once something is going bad, 
it's hard to stop the other way around. Right. And it was it was an example that a, a, a portfolio manager analyst sort of gave me around a particular stock. And they said, the reason we like it is that they have more stock. It's similar to a Bunnings. You know, they have okay. more stock than anyone else that's possibly out there. And because they have more stock, they attract more customers. Right. And because they attract more customers, they sell more, which gives them access to more stock, but at better prices, right. which means they can attract more customers, which means that more customers buy, which, and it becomes this piece that no one can get into the market because they can't buy the stock at the pricing to attract the customers right. to beat them. Yeah. And so therefore it goes in that direction. And then they gave an example of another business that was losing customers and therefore they couldn't access the stock and they had to pay more for it, which means they weren't then competitive and they were slowly getting momentum to go out of business. And we say in sales that once you've clicked and it's got it right, like a great real estate agent isn't cold calling, you know, a hundred times a day because he's probably been doing it for a period of time and he's staying visible in the market. He is making phone calls, but he's staying in touch with people so that the moment they're ready to sell or thinking about it, they're calling them in for advice. Yeah, hey, Ross, what would you do? Hey, Cherie, what would you do? You know, yeah, exactly. And we've had this conversation, so I know this happens to you, where you get the phone call and said, hey, Liam, we're going through this at the moment. What do you suggest we do? And how much more powerful that is than you calling them and saying, hey, I've got this new product in mind. Exactly, what do you think? Yeah. And I know certainly from our perspective, the reason our conversion rate is so high is because 90% of it is inquiry-led. That people are coming to us saying, can you help us with this problem? Yeah. And we can. And that's where value is created. We can actually say, what's the problem? Why is it a problem? What's the impact of the problem? And what would the impact be if you could get it right? Mm. So we're trying to establish motivation to getting it right and motivation to not get it wrong. And then all we have to do is fill that gap and, and that's the sale done, so to speak. Yeah. As well, opposed to right. trying to create need from nowhere, which sometimes we have to do. But it is a, it's a much tougher point. So if they're coming to you with it, it's a higher likelihood of getting the change. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's also building that trusted relationship. You know, if they're coming to you, they've already uh, created an element of trust, which is really big if you're going to uh, work with anyone and change. They have to trust you, yeah. right? Because they're going on a, almost like an unknown journey. Because, like, yeah. you know, strategy is pretty much not like planning. I mean, planning you're in control of the costs. So you can go, oh, I'm gonna buy one of those, I'm gonna buy one of those, I'm gonna reshape the warehouse, I'm gonna do that. You're in control of the costs. But with strategy, your customers are in control, not you. Yep. So, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's a leap of faith. You know, a lot, a lot of strategy is, if we do that, our hypothesis is then, if this is where we play and this is how we, what we believe we're gonna win, but you can't be absolutely sure yes. who's gonna win. So that's the difference between, you know, having the surety around planning what I do with my dollar versus strategy, which is asking the customers for dollars. And that's exactly what the, the you know, the, back to the, the, the spinning, uh, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. I can't even know what these bloody things Fidget are Fidget spinners? Fidget spinners. Yeah. I think as well, though, if I think about, we've done through a number of planning and, as you know, um, with our deck and it's planned out a number of years. And so what are we going to be doing in business in 27, 28, 29, which is an interesting concept to have yeah. because it could be there or it could be there. Or it could be over there. It could be a completely different business. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder if sometimes, this is a question, uh, but I'm, I'm thinking about it as I'm talking to you. Okay. I wonder if large multinational organizations 
because they have to plan. I understand why, but they leave things on the table. Totally. Because yeah. they, they have to forecast and plan first. And so it's this idea of, we need to cut costs by 20% by 2028. We need to be able to reduce headcount by this. And so they're planning, so how many sales could we still make? As opposed to, we want to be the most innovative da -da 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 in the marketplace. We want people coming to us because of this, 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 and this. Therefore, you have to put money aside for innovation, for product development, for time to actually be present enough to start thinking creatively. Yeah. You know, this, this thing we have with leaders often, uh, they say, oh, we want to be more innovative uh, and strategic. Great. Just show me in your diary what time you put aside for, for being innovative. Oh, we, we don't have time for that. Great, yeah. so let's rule that out. On the weekend, when I'm not flaming my kids. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm having a shower and the idea comes to me. Yes. Yeah, that 10 seconds of, of space that I get. Yeah, and, and we want to be more strategic. Great, show me your strategy time that you put aside. We don't. Okay, so let's rule out being more strategic. <laughs> you know, we have to actually allocate yeah. brain power to do these things, but we're so busy and yeah. we're stuck in VUCA and yeah. so much change is going on at the moment. It, it must be challenging to actually get back into the moment to think that way because it almost would feel yeah. like you're wasting time yeah well the way we look at it is that <clears throat> you know let's say we're going into an established business they're going to have a portfolio of things that already make them money yep. right they know the market is going to change in five years or new competitors could come in um, uh, new regulations you know things could shift but they still need to sweat that asset they're still really good at making money yes so let's box that as a, a thing like don't let go of this because this is making you dollars, man. This is like, yeah. you know, this is how you make money. And then you've got the future revenue streams, which you're thinking about, like how could we, you know, pivot to another future revenue stream? What a lot. And, and so, if you think about the thinking and the psyche of each of those two uh, different time zones, this is all about managing costs. This is all about sweating the asset, getting the most, optimizing what we do. Yeah. Right. That's one mindset. The other side of the mindset, as you said, is this big out there thinking, the blue sky thinking. That's a very different thinking yeah. and a very different type of person. Like this person you want here is like the operations type person. They're really detail focused. They don't want to change too much. It's incremental changes. Yeah. Over here, you want the sort of like, wow, we could change the world. We could do this. We could be that. We could be a, I don't know, a toy company. Yeah. Um, right? But in the middle... Why did you look at me when you were... <laughs> hey, teach young kids to sell and they can maybe sell themselves into a, a job, right? Well, let's come back to that. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, um, and, and, but what people forget is in the middle, uh, there's this box which talks about what do we need to let go of in order to actually step into this future? Yeah. And what are the new capabilities we need? So there's always things we need to let go of, yeah. right? It's a little bit like, uh, you know, the changing generations, right? Yeah. And you see it in music and, you know, I'm older now. So when my kids, you know, I don't know about your kids, but when my kids were, were young, I was the hero, you know, like up till about 12 or 13, then I was an idiot. Yeah, yeah. It's like, dad, you don't understand anything. You're an idiot. Now they're a bit older. They're like, oh, dad. Yeah, you're <laughs> trying. Right. Like, yeah. You know, how can you go from hero to idiot in, a, in, a, in 12 months and then you, then you come out come back into it. and then you're back all right. Oh, it's all right now. Yeah. Um, and so there's things that you need to let go of, right? 
and it's a little bit like parenting. So, you know, when you're parenting small kids, you need to take care of them and make sure they're safe and secure and you're, you're watching out for them. So you're, you're a little bit more vigilant. When they're teenagers, you're vigilant about the really big things, but yeah. you need them to experiment. Yes. Right? And you have to be a different type of parent then. You can't be micromanaging, otherwise they're just gonna, you know, they're just yeah. gonna disappear. And then when they're adults, you need to be really with them like a partner, like, like an equal. Yeah. So it goes from sort of hero to equal, you know, and, and it's the same with business. You can't have, you know, the, the same managers that are doing the keep the fires burning, sweat the asset. They're a different breed than the people that are creating the new. Yeah. And then the people that are creating the new can never take that new and turn it into a sweat asset. Yeah. Right, sweat the asset because they don't think like that. Yeah. So you need to sort of make sure that you've got things you let go of, things that you're emerging into, what's the new capabilities yes. um, that, are, that are going to be needed. I mean, everyone's saying, hey, do we need everyone to be a digital native in the future? Yep. And the answer is, yeah, we probably do have to have that understanding, but if AI is going to do most of the digital heavy lifting, yep. why do we need it? Yep. <laughs> right? No, it's I mean, right. It's a, well, that's a good question. But, but it, it, I suppose it says as well, though, because again, from a small business, you've got to be lots of things. Yep. But sometimes in these bigger businesses, trying not to be everything. Correct. And, and we did an interview with uh, the ex-Sydney Swats, Swans captain, Josh Kennedy. Oh, cool. And they have this Bloods culture that is very, very famous. One of the best internal cultures that, that I've ever heard of or seen and the way they run it. And from the, the most junior to the CEO, everybody has to live that culture. Yeah, so totally. if you see something, you need to pick up on it. But they had four captains for a period of time. And he talked about how each of them almost had different archetypes. Ah, and okay. so he found it challenging to be the rebel. I'm going to use your yeah. sort of piece there. He was a much better companion. Mm. But there was a really strong rebel there. That there was this natural, this magician that they sort of talked about, that idea who was just yeah. a master at having those Maradona, conversations. Yeah. You know I mean? yeah. but, but also the way people would walk away feeling so amazing off the back of these little conversations. Yeah. And so he sort of talked about how he had the ability, and, and he was much more around that architect, architect Protect the structure oh, the piece, yeah. yeah, sort of there as well, sort of building it what it could look like. He ended up learning so much, he became the solo captain, mm. and then he handed the captaincy over and was a player underneath another captain wow. uh, throughout that, because part of their goal is to be able to build the next crew of leaders that come through. Yeah, totally. and, and it's that idea of if you're so stuck in what you have to be, or if you're trying to be everything to everyone, you're more than likely going to fail. Yeah. And so it means we need different people in different roles and you need to also know what's needed from me today. Yeah, yeah right? exactly. And, and I, I was taught this quite young, not in the, this scenario, but I used it in this scenario of the idea of wearing different hats. So right now I'm wearing a podcast hat where I'm having a conversation with you. Yeah. And my mind will sometimes wander. Like you, you're making me think of so many ideas through this, <laughs> but I've got to keep reminding myself. Yeah. It'll be, here, it'll, just as be, it'll be just as great an idea in half an hour's time. Yeah. Right now, all I can do is focus on, on this, but I've got to remind myself what hat I'm wearing today. And then, post this, I'll put another hat on, and that'll be whatever the next focus is. And, and I think that idea of the different archetypes, again, I know I keep coming back to it, but I think if that's not an aha moment for people, then they're, they're missing something. Yeah, and I think also, <clears throat> you know, one of the things that we teach um, the executives is that you have a certain amount of attention every morning, right? Attention span, you know, this bucket of attention. And every time something new comes in, what you'd normally do, you know, healthy attention is you come in, you think about it, and then you 
then you solve it and put it aside. Or yeah. as you said, yeah, I'm going to put it on a parking list because I know I'm going to get to it. Yeah. But part of your attention is still on that. I can see it. Yeah. <laughs> it's really like, oh, I hope I don't forget that bloody yeah. thing. You can always watch the podcast again. That's right. Um, and, and what happens, though, is that uh, before too long, your attention gets full up. Yeah. So no long, you have no longer free attention, which you can place anywhere. It's all of a sudden it's full up. Now, what happens when your attention gets so full that you you can't fit anymore, right? Yeah. Well, what happens to you? What 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 what's? Uh, I suppose I become ineffective because right. I'm doing lots of little things as opposed to following something through. Yeah. But I can imagine that would also at some point reach burnout or like there's right. a there's a exactly. big consequence to it. Exactly. So what happens is people start getting stressed. Because yeah. they get another problem thrown out and another one and then, yeah. and then they look at their email box and there's 108 emails and all of a sudden their attention is overwhelmed. Yeah. And that creates, you know, so the adrenaline goes up, you know, cortisol goes up, stress hormones go up, and then you keep that going for a while, you're gonna start getting sick. Yeah. And the other thing you're gonna do is you're gonna start putting on weight, your sex drive is gonna go down. Yeah. You know, because you're always on. Yeah. You're switched on all the time. <clears throat> and so there's lots of negative consequences. So when, when we met, coming back to that example, when I could see your attention was full of other stuff, yeah. I, I wanted you to take a break and just empty some of that out yeah. so we could fill the glass with a new liquid, right? So we yeah. had to empty out what was in there, okay. make it empty, and then go, right, Johnny, let's, let's hear. So, so two things on that. Number one, in, in meditation, they refer to that as noting. Okay. And, and so my brain goes away and when you first start in meditation, especially someone like me who's I like to do things well, I get annoyed at myself. <laughs> oh, I'm not, I'm not focused, and so it goes against the whole concept yeah, of meditation. So you're on the meditation. edge of the spinner now. <laughs> that's right. Whereas noting is just like, oh, that's really interesting that my mind's gone here. Yeah. Um, let's just bring it back, and and it just keeps coming back to that moment there. The second thing though is this idea of you arresting that problem and bringing it back, which I think is is number one, it's brave because we've just met each other. Um, and there's a lot of strategic reasons of why it was great that you did it, but it was also, it is brave. Because I could have said, I didn't come for a coaching session, I came to meet with you and, yeah. and, uh, and put that through it. But it did recheck me and check myself back into that moment. And I'm, I'm mindful of time because I don't know how long we've been going for, Will, but I was wondering if, if you could take me through one of those exercises now, just for people who are listening to check themselves. Now, if that's inappropriate, let me know. But but it is that idea of yeah. is there something like I oh, I use the five four three thing quite a lot, which is what are five things I can see, hear, four things I can hear, and three things I can feel, and it's designed to get your curiosity working and yeah. then bring you back to present. Yeah, right? well, I mean, you know, lots of techniques that you'd be familiar with in meditation, like breathing, like yes. taking a stop and breathing. But one of the ones that I like the most is that is to get people to do a walking meditation. Okay. And what I say to them is like, okay, <clears throat> and this is part of flow science, by the way, and I'll, I'll come back to it, but so you can feel your attention's full up. Yep. Everyone can feel it. You start getting a bit agitated. You start getting a bit ratty. You, your hand signals are pushing things away. You think, mate, give me a, give me a minute, will you? Yeah. Back off. Like, like it's back off, right? Yes. That's a sign that your attention's full and you just feel it full. So I say, right, take a break, stop. Just take a walk and put your attention outside of you. So have a look at, ideally is nature. Okay. So just go out there and look at a tree or a plant and then sort of just describe it. You know, like what are you actually seeing there? 
Yeah. And what that does is it takes your attention off yourself and puts it out. And in doing so, it frees up some space. So I think in the moment when we caught up, we were at the grounds in Alexandria, which has some beautiful nature, quite an interesting place. Yeah. And I pictured, I looked at a tree, you got me to look at something, I think I, I picked it. Yeah. And you said, great, so describe it to me. Okay, keep describing it to me. Like beyond where I would, uh, so I'm yeah, finding yeah, new parts away. to describe. Leave, you know. Yeah, that's right. And before I knew it, my eyes weren't looking away anymore. I was totally focused on what it is that I was discussing. And then I came back to you and was more focused on our conversation. Exactly. And so by being able to get outside of myself, you know, clear some of that, what yeah. do you call it, baggage or, or, or things yeah. that, that's going on, yeah. it allowed me to come back to it. And, and this idea of, you know, I haven't met anyone, I say this to organisations sometimes, who, who says, oh, just letting you know at the moment where, you know, we're pretty tight on budgets and we don't have a lot of time. <laughs> and you say, oh, it's really interesting because most of our clients have got so much money to spend and they're just doing nothing. They've got so much time on their hands. Like everyone is busy and everyone's trying to cut costs. We use this term, they're trying to do more with less. Yep. Right? Which just adds pressure to the people that are there. Yeah, more VUCA. And so how effective are you in everything that you do. Now that's not to put pressure on people of trying to be 100% all the time, mm. but you're gonna be in that one hour meeting, whether you're whether you like present or, or performing or not. So what are some tips and techniques? I'm not asking, that's a, that's a great one there, but, but I do want people to consider, what can you do to be prepared to walk into that and get the most out of it? Because if we're more present, we'll listen. Yeah. And not just listen, we'll take on board. Totally. And we've got more chance of actually applying it. Then what time do we take post that to say, how do I put that in place? What's the stuff I should discard? What's the stuff that I need to put forward? Um, I, I was doing a charity walk, 100, 150 Ks or something for the month. And I don't normally walk that much. And I was listening to Nine Lies About Work at the oh, time. Okay. Have you read this? I know, I haven't it's, read it's that. Amazing. I think I ended up buying 15 domain names off the back of it. <laughs> I, I, I was implementing things all of the time. Like I could, like, it took me so long to get through this audiobook, not because I wasn't enjoying it, but I would listen to the it's same chapter ideas. over and over again, and I'd be pausing and dictating notes to myself, which hardly made sense because it you know, wasn't as great at the time. But it, it's that kind of approach of how do you actually get present enough to be part of it, and then how do you do something <laughs> with it and apply it? And it, it's certainly something that I find easy to do <laughs> some of the time but I can actually notice myself of late finding yeah. it harder and harder to Falling just get back. there and be totally present in, in what it is that I'm doing. Yeah, well, one of the things that we encourage people to do also is what we call transition zones. Yep. So when you go from uh, context A to context B, um, you need to give yourself a transition zone time. Yep. So I'll give you an example. So, you know, and I learned this, you know, when I was, when I was younger and my kids were, were young and I know, so I'd come home, I was busy, I was in my head, I was like, you know, running, running, running all day, and of course the family's at a different pace, yep. right? And the first thing the kids want to do is like, dad, 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 jump all over you, and you'd, you know, I'd be on my phone, I'd be like, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Yep. And then one day I just thought, what the hell am I doing? Yep. You know, I'm missing this moment, because what I notice is that once you do that a few times, then they don't come running to you anymore. That's right. And you think, shit, that's, I've really blown up. And I, you know, I realized this, so what I decided to implement was these transition zones. So I'd come in, I'd park up the road, yeah. just around the corner. I'd finish my call, 
I put my phone away, I put it on airplane mode, stick it in my pocket, and I drive up the drive, and the second I was driving up the drive, you could see the kids running out, and I was there for them. Yep. I was in the new context, 100% yep. present. Yep. And if you give them 100% energy, presence, for 15, 20, they're gonna get bored in 15, 20 minutes, and yeah, then they're gonna right. go off and do something I was, else. I think you're being generous with 15 to 20 minutes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But if you resist that, no, 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 hang on a minute, they're gonna be continually whining at you. So how we do it in, in the zone is that you're in one context, Yep. And you say, right, I'm moving, deliberately moving for another context. I'm going to now do, you know, 10 breaths. As I step, feel yep. my feet on the ground, look out the window, just describe something or think of things I'm grateful for. Yep. In that 30 seconds to a minute, yep. I'm changing context. And that's the important thing. Yes. We're not talking spend 30 minutes before. No. And I think sometimes people think, I don't have time to transition. Yeah, exactly. It's a 30 second, it's a minute, it's 90 seconds. Um, my old car used to be really bad on fuel, so I was filling up a lot more than I do now. And um, I used to always use that time to just get curious. Yeah. And I would spot things, like I've been at this petrol station hundreds of times, but I would just spot things that I'd never seen before, or you just feel the wind on your neck yeah. or your legs, feel the pump in your hand. Like the, these moments of actual truly feeling it. Yeah. And then I walk into pay and I'm happier. I connect with the attendant more, yeah. like those little things. And, and I had the home transition I struggled with right. when I moved my office close to my home. Ah, right. So there was, yeah. it was, there was no time. I felt like I was leaving the office and I was at home and then we moved a bit away and I've come back to being close again now. And I found it so easy then because I'd make the odd call, I'd enjoy the drive and I'd pull into the driveway and I could be really connected and, yeah, and yeah. ready. And it's something that I have to be really mindful of when I come home. And, I, and I'm, you know, I thought I was good at it and now you're talking about, it, I think I still come in on the phone sometimes. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's, a, that's, you know, cause you've got that one precious moment. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> and one of the things, you know, I was watching obviously on your on your platform which is amazing by the way it's really, really great and i'm going to be sharing it with a lot of my clients is is that you know you talked about preparation for a meeting really yes. key right so if you had that as part of your preparation for a meeting like cool i'm going into that meeting in the steps from my car or before i start the zoom call come in grab a water sit down yeah think about what what i'm there for be really present, how, I, how can I serve this customer yeah. or this potential customer? Then you're in a completely different yeah. mindset, right? And then at the end of the call, you know, always take time to make notes because by the time you've done five more calls, you've forgotten yeah. the sweet spots, right? So just make those times to take those notes. So we have a thing where we never jump on back-to-back -back Zoom calls. Yeah. That's just brutal. Yes. So it's like, you can't even have a time for a pee, for God's sake. Yeah, that's you, know, right. you, you need the bio break time. Yeah. So it's like, hey, finish the Zoom call, let's start it at five past the hour, yeah. or, or whatever it is. Or, and we always give people that time, yeah. because we know I'd rather have them late and present than on time and not present. Yeah. You know, the effectiveness is a yes. hundred times. Yeah, I, I'm a big, yeah, I, I agree with that. and and. I, I do run a little bit hard, um, trying to fit things in, and, and often you'll, someone say, okay, I really need to see you today. Oh, what if I squeezed you in at this period of time? Mm. But I'll also, we'll jump on a minute late or two minutes late yeah. to get myself ready. 
rather than not have a water, not have been to the bathroom, you know, those types of approaches. Yeah. Uh, because it really is, and obviously the ideal is be on time and be prepared. Yeah, but I do course. think getting that right mindset, and often people think this preparation that we do and ask you to fill out is about what am I going to say in the meeting? It's about actually being able to just be present and, and yeah. not be thinking about how should I structure it? Where do I start? Yeah, filling up your attention with the stuff you haven't prepared. Yeah. Right. As, as opposed to this idea of, what did we talk about last time? Where did we get up to? Because the last thing you want to do is be starting the conversation again. You want to pick it up from there. That's, totally. that's sales 101 is your progress opportunities. Um, what more do I need to know? You know? It's almost, how do I get that first 30 seconds right? Yeah. And after that, the rest of it, you know, what are the three things I'd love to get out of this? What would I love them to get out of it? Like it literally could take a minute, two minutes, five minutes, and then getting in that right mindset before walking into that meeting or jumping on the Zoom and pressing connect it can make a really big impact of that, you know, that first minute or two, are we going to waste their time or are we going to make an impact for them? Yeah, well, I mean, it's like, you know, you know, if you're going to have 10 meetings in a day, why not make 10 of them effective? Yeah. Rather than five sort of effective and five hit and miss. I mean, it's just, yeah. because, I mean, you know, how much, it's real hard to get into people's diaries all the time, right? Yes. They're, you know, time, time poor is another thing. So if you're in someone's diary, man, that's gold. Yeah. That is streets are paved with gold that is yes. a gold moment that's a good point why would you mess it up why yeah. would you not invest in that bar of gold like you're, you're literally going to walk away with a bar of gold and you're like oh yeah can't be bothered you know I'm, i'll just see how it goes see how it goes yeah i mean that to me is just like that's not exceptional that's that's not even good that's, yeah that's really poor behavior so yeah you know and i'm not I'm, i can't be bothered messing around with with anything that's less than exceptional that's why I, said yes to this podcast because I think you're exceptional and what you're trying to do is exceptional and Able IQ is exceptional. Like it's really going to change the game for a lot of people. So that's why I said, yep, I'm coming here, Johnny. I'm up for it because I like being with exceptional people. Oh, vice versa. I don't want it to end. Um, A quickly note on that though, we talked about that role playing at the beginning of the day and, and those sorts of things. And it's this idea of volume versus effectiveness, right? Yeah. Quality. Mm-hmm. And some people think you've got a less in volume to get higher quality as opposed to this idea of just those one or two or three key things you can do to be more effective yeah. and i kind of see this as a bit of a game changer for people out there if they're listening to this put something in place what do i do prior to every call what do i do at the beginning of every day like you talk about purpose what's my purpose today yeah like if i get to the end of the day and it's four, four o'clock five o'clock six o'clock like I, I run pretty long days these days and i know i've got someone at 5.30 for a coaching session out there, but I've got to drive over there. I don't want that to be, to look like it's the end of my day and I'm exhausted. Yeah. I want to make sure I'm still peaking. Yeah. And I kind of almost, like I've got this thing internally where I'm proud of myself if I get to Friday afternoon and I'm still maintaining the same energy I had on Tuesday morning. Yeah. Right. If I can feel that and I'm not four weeks in, as you said, getting sick, that I'm still maintaining the same rage, so to speak, because I've got the right balance in my life exactly. to, to get through. Yeah. And I think that there's, we've spoken a lot around individual effectiveness. Um, maybe when you're coming back through Australia, we might get into it and start talking even more about the organisational and the team-based pieces yeah, as right. well uh, to get from there. But it, I suppose, is there any final thoughts or final ideas you think that you want to float? Well, the reason we're called um, human beings is because, you know, we have, we, we generally think of ourselves as a bunch of to-do lists. Yeah. What have we got to do today? Do, 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 do. 
think about yourself as a being and who am I going to be today? Who am I going to be at the beginning of the day, throughout the day, at the end of the day? You know, and, and that is really, really important to have a being list. Yeah. And so it's as important as your doing list because the doing has a ripple effect, yeah. but who you're being has a ripple effect. And that ripple effect actually has a much longer tail than the doing. You know, the doing, you, know, you, you, you hit a domino, it falls over. The being, someone remembers who you're being much yeah. more than what you, what you did, right? Yeah. You know, they, they come and they go, wow, it's just so great to be with Johnny. Or, wow, Johnny was a bit grumpy today. Mm. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So you're, who you're being has a bigger ripple effect than just what you're doing. Yeah, wow. That's, that's what I would end with. Liam, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. No um, hopefully you'll agree to another one of these at some point Absolutely. as well. And looking forward to, to people. So it's called The Zone. It's called The what Zone. what you do. Uh, and if people are, have got a level of interest in, in wanting to change either at an individual level, a team level or an organisational level, or yes. in most cases all of them, yep. um, I really encourage you to, to get in touch with, with Liam directly or, or shout out to me and I'll, I'll, I'll make the introduction. Yeah, shout out to you. I'm on LinkedIn, you know, Liam Ford at The Zone and we're at www.thezone.co.co. Okay. So thezone.co for those wanting to get in touch or check out more about what you do. And uh, hopefully we can do more together. Yeah, well, I'm hoping so because let's change the world for the better. You know, let's make things, let's make things better for people so you can sell more and have more fun. I mean, and more time with the family. I yeah. Mean, that's what it's about, eh? Yeah. Like, let's improve your productivity. Yeah. So every meeting is a winner. And then you go home. You're a king. You're feeling great. And you're even having fun with the kids. Love it. Thanks, Leo. Thanks. Cheers.